Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. From the Notre Dame coaches box atop Allegiant Stadium. A um, little less litter here than the last time we recorded a podcast post game. Uh, Notre Dame 28, BYU 20. It had, it had a lot of everything. Um, it had a lot of atmosphere. I got to start with that. Um, this was, I think, the loudest. I'm trying to remember a louder Shamrock Series game. I cannot off the top of my head. I thought the atmosphere at Allegiant Stadium was incredible. Um, Marcus Freeman referenced that. Players talked about it afterwards. Uh, and then ultimately, like Notre Dame, at the week after stopping talking about finishing, actually finishes the game with uh, its lines, which is kind of how this, that's as far as this team is going to go, um, is their offensive and defensive lines. Defensive line gets a stop on fourth down. Offense able to run out the clock uh, with a third and four run to Audric Estime that just gets four yards just enough. Uh, and ultimately, Notre Dame puts its season on what I think is a pretty sustainable, positive glide path from here, Matt. Yeah, atmosphere is awesome. I, I feel like I got some eye rolls from you and from others when I said for the Pac-12 game last year, like Utah fans, that was the loudest venue I'd been in. But like, I don't know if it's the structure of the place. It feels a lot bigger than 62,000 um, seats. It's the open-air press box. Both fans brought it today. And it was weird because Notre Dame really dominated this game for a st- stretch that made it look like they were just going to walk out of here oh, yeah. easy peasy and BYU with a couple big third down plays between the end of the third quarter and the start of the fourth quarter uh, really brought their smaller but but louder crowd or at least numbers wise um, to, to life and it became very tense in the fourth quarter it was an awesome atmosphere I mean Vegas is Vegas um, I think you tweeted every Shamrock series game <laughs> should be here um, it was a poll well oh, it was okay yes uh, yeah, also yes yes, yes. And yes. okay uh, yeah, they should play the UNLV game here in South Bend a couple of weeks. I was, uh, I was talking to someone in the program after the game, and they said, uh, yeah, I loved it in Vegas. Let's just not schedule the team who's in the neighboring state next time the same way we're playing uh, Wisconsin in a home game at Lambeau Field in a couple of years because that makes it a little more neutral than we would like it for one of our home games. But it was fun. It was awesome. Um, it was interesting to see this team win at the end, making a fourth down stop and, and making a crucial third down run uh, because third downs really dictated this game for large parts. I mean, Notre Dame, uh, you know, I joked about it with Drew Pine afterward, but like it just, it was like, all right, they're going to go to Mayer here, third and 13, and Pine's going to stare him down the whole time, and he's still going to fire it to him, and he's still going to complete it to him because BYU just did not have a plan uh, for stopping that guy. And, uh, you know, BYU, conversely, uh, on that really game-turning drive, potentially game-turning drive, when it looked like they were down and out. Uh, you know, they had a third and 18 run that went for 20 yards yes. deep in their that own was, uh, red that zone. That It was really bad because the game's pretty much over by that point yeah. if you just do your job, and they didn't. And BYU, you know, scared scared half the Irish fans here to death, I'm sure. But, um, you know, they, BYU made the um, – Jason Adamola compared the stadium to the Fiesta Bowl, but I'm not sure that's what he meant in terms of... Justin. That was Jason. That was Justin. That was Jason. They called him Justin. 
I thought it was Jason too, but they kept calling him Justin. Okay. Anyway, we clearly <laughs> know what we're doing here. We had no fun at all in Vegas. What we're, a podcast we have. But that, you know, it had like sort of some festival momentum vibes to it. Oh, yeah. Where Notre Dame just didn't kind of, it, it felt like they lost their way and were having a hard time getting it back for for a game that they won time of possession by 20 minutes. I don't know if Notre Dame's defense got gassed and then got it sort of its stuff back together or or how to describe what happened there, but it was it, this game sort of had a little bit of everything because it felt like one that Notre Dame may win by a blowout, right. um, and then it won. It felt like one that Notre Dame was going to like get away, and then it, you know, lo and behold, they sort of finished it out in a way that I think gets the season moving in a, a positive direction or keeps it that way. Um, you know, aside from both lines playing very well. Um, you know, Drew Pine, 22 of 28 for 262, three touchdowns, had a pick, but it's a, a ball batted at the line of scrimmage, not a, a bad decision pick. Right. Um, they rushed for 234. Um, I felt like if they ran for 200, they would win the game. Uh, Audric Estime, 97, Logan Davis, 93. Tyree was a little bit off today with just 42 and kind of felt like, you know, maybe he had, he had left some yards out on the field. But um, a very balanced attack. I thought one where Reese called a good game um you know the the way he's able to get mayor mm-hmm. open is i think but um, like i almost bizarre to me um uh, because if there's well, one why, guy why open on that the, yeah. the one touchdown you know but i think some of that is and i asked pine about this after the game like if you have pass plays that can take eight seconds because the offensive line right. will block for 10 um i'm not saying that that's intentional the way that they do it but it it just it's hard to cover Michael Mayer for two seconds, but if you have to cover him for eight, that's just about impossible. And I thought that um, you know Reese did a good job scheming him open, uh, but I also thought that uh, the offensive line did a good job allowing Pine to find him when you know maybe the first, second, third read is covered up you know, in a timing sense, and then he's able to sort of get the ball to him late. I thought you know this is coming off the North Carolina game, but again, North Carolina doesn't practice or play defense at that school. BYU does. I thought this was about as complete and impressive and balance of the showing from an offense from start to finish. Um, they they just looked in control. I mean, Drew Pine had all the time in the world, and he took full advantage of it. Um, they, they were able to run the ball. They'd been in desperate need of someone else to go up there and grab the damn ball and make some big catches, and they got that. From Jaden Thomas today, the touchdown catch. Um, you know, me and you were having a discussion in game. When's the last time, you know, you've seen that from an Irish receiver, even seen an Irish receiver who can undo a, a mistake? Because that was a bad throw by Drew Pine. Right. It was severely underthrown, and Thomas went up and got it over the DB shoulder. Uh, I think you said Javon McKinley in 2020. Actually, I, the more I thought of it was Joe Wilkins at Florida State last year had an okay. incredible God, physical <laughs> catch. Um, you know, that was that was you know it's just. That was the Brian Kelly execution game. But um, just because you, you don't need Jaden Thomas to be to give you this every week, but you just need to know that he can in that option. I mean, they've tried to push the ball vertically to him before. They did it at North Carolina. And it just never felt like it was kind of a know-thy-personnel moment when you do that. But today, to have some proof of concept on tape for – the sophomore receiver to go with Lorenzo Styles, who has some proof of concept on tape, like that's significant. Um, that gets you in a much healthier position because I mean the passing game, it's it's half of it is Michael Mayer. Drew Pine had twenty eight attempts, fifteen targets to Michael Mayer, twenty two completions, eleven of them to Michael Mayer. It's 
and, and that's at okay. Least, at least four on third he down. Is, and one that, I don't know if it was dropped, I don't know if it was out of reach, but it was one that, you know, knowing Michael Mayer, he probably should have had. Right. You, you expected him to have. Absolutely. Um, that I mean, that's okay to have a very Mayer-driven pass game, but uh, you've got to have something else to go with it. And to have Thomas and Styles now, um, at least we can we can probably stop talking about Tobias Merriweather's reps for at least another week here um, when you get the passing game moving the way that it is. And, I, and like, I think just Pine in general, it's crazy to think back to last year when he was, I think, a 50% passer, came in against Marshall, 50% passer, and then really he's been, like, pushing 80% right. from the second quarter of the Cal game on. Um, it's been pretty impressive to watch that development both – from a coaching point of view and just sort of like Drew Pine really putting it together to be a guy that can help Notre Dame win opposed to just is along for the ride. Yeah, I saw someone on the strip last night wearing a t-shirt that said, do your uh, F Shamrock C-K-I-N-G job. Uh, so that that's become a rallying cry, uh, you know, fr- from a moment that didn't look all that great in real time. Uh, but you see the response from Drew Pine after. And you, see, you could tell, you know, players are always going to, say they're confident and act confident. You, you can tell Drew Pine is, is playing with a level of confidence right now that just was not even possible to exist for him three weeks ago. I mean, the flip play to Audrick Estime, right. like, that takes a lot of gumption to do, and you only do that. And I believe it was on a first down play right after a big Michael Mayer catch it was, in yeah. the red zone or, or close to it. Like, you only do that if you're feeling yourself and you've got things going offensively. And, and he did that, and I just thought, you know, even his mannerisms on the field, yeah. like he's. I'm not saying he celebrates like a receiver when they get a first down, but it's it's pretty demonstrative. He's like, got some. I mean, I wouldn't call him Patrick Mahomes on that third and four run with the spin, but it got five yards. It got the job done, and he's got some defensive some, tackle some injured himself. Did, yeah, well, I, I guess. trying to make the play. That's uh, how uh, that's how sneaky quick he was. No, but he he he's been playing a lot better, and I think you're, you're seeing this offense kick into an extra gear the last couple of weeks here with, with with the way he's been able to, to move the ball and lead that offense and even now I don't know if you asked someone asked him post game about you know going from the Cal game to now and the way you're able to kind of pick yourself up and he's and we remember in, in real time like you know he misfires on Michael Mayer early on in the Cal game and Mayer's the first one over on the sideline tapping him on the head and he's like these guys had my back when mm-hmm. I wasn't at my best and, and, and you know to to know that they have my back in those dark moments just makes it that much easier, more enjoyable when things are clicking. But, you know, Jaron Hall, there, there was some buzz coming into the game, BYU's quarterback, about him having a bum shoulder. First play of scrimmage, just airmails a pass that gets picked off. He should have had a pick six to Clarence Lewis uh, in the first half, flat-out drop. Um, he, he had a third and five pass, maybe, um, on a second drive that – just completely went nowhere, nowhere near the receiver. And there was a point in that game where I believe it was 25-6 maybe. Um, really weird, like it's exactly the kind of score you'd expect. Yeah, it was 25-6, kind of score you'd expect with BYU. And uh, at that point in the game, Pine was 19-23 for 217 yards with three touchdowns. Jaron Hall was 3-8 of eight for 11 yards with one touchdown, one interception, one safety, and what should have been another pick six. I mean, yeah, he did, there was nothing to make anyone in this building think that BYU offensively had it in them to even threaten to make this a game. And, and lo and behold, they've got the ball in the red zone. I hated that fourth and one call that, that they got stuffed on. It was a great play by, by uh, whichever Adam Malone. I'm not going to try to – that was Jason. <laughs> that was definitely that Jason. That was Jason. That was Jason. Jason but, and Nano Safamento were in the play. That was a, a hell of a play by him. I hated that call on fourth and one. Um, 
but yeah, they, 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 you know, BYU hung in there. They, they, they played with a lot of confidence at the end. Um, and these are the games that, you know, we, we spent a lot of time. We're going to continue to spend a lot of time in the show just talking about uh, Marcus Freeman's growth as a coach, particularly in game. You know, we, he's had a new theme pretty much every post game so far. But even hearing him talk about, hey, you know, I'm more upset than anyone when we give up those big third down plays, and I can't allow like my anger in that moment to essentially. Like we got to move on to the next play. Like, yeah. like that's something I think as a head coach you just gotta like, like that's got to eat him inside so much as a longtime defensive coordinator to see some of those busts happen, and you just got to play the next play. And to their credit, you know they came back and they did that, and they were able to make the crucial stop when when they had to. Attempt. I mean, look, we we covered a coach who did not keep that inside. Like he had to he had to let it out to move on. Um, I think Marcus Freeman is much more emotionally intelligent, where he's like, that's not helping the team for me to just lose it hmm. on somebody uh, or just like rant on the sidelines. Um, so it's, you know, it's, I think he's figuring out how this puts, you know, how, how to put it together. You know, when he uses the term panic in the post game of like, you've sensed a little bit of panic right. on, the, on the sideline and you'd be like, no, 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 no. You know, and how many, how many games have we covered? How many post games have we talked to where the sort of company line is like, we always believe there was we, never yeah. any doubt. Never flinched, yes, yeah. robotic, robotic quotes and noises. Like for, you know, I, I think it's just part of like his authenticity, where he is will sort of in those moments at least sort of tell you how he's really feeling and what he's really thinking. So I think for him to like see panic come into the room and then close the door on it and be like, oh, right, let's get back to where we were. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting because it. There was there was definitely a moment in the you know in the fourth quarter. I'm not saying I thought they were going to lose, but under the previous regime of Brian Kelly, you knew they would have figured they knew they would sure. figure it out how to win the game. No, it was a, I mean we, they we always said, won that no, game. But, but like we said it, and and uh, what's his name said it post game. Like, major Fiesta Bowl vibes during mm-hmm. that. Like you know not as high scoring, but like it was an offense that was able to do whatever it wanted until. A kind of fluky interception happened versus uh, a BYU offense that couldn't do anything for two and a half quarters. Yeah, or so. it required Notre Dame to help them. BYU ran the ball. I mean, what was the final stat? It 29, like 29 were... for 160, okay, which isn't a huge number, but it was five and a half yards per carry, and it felt like they were very efficient when they yes. did it. Um, there wasn't a lot of like empty rushing attempts in there. Um, you know, that, that you already referenced, like the third and 18 run was massive. Um, you know that I think they ran 104 they, of those yards were in the second half. They ran yards. to the perimeter uh, where they just had a more athletic player than a running back in Brooks. Then Notre Dame had a linebacker in Bertrand to get to the edge, and then they, you know, they score that touchdown where I think Kaiser was chasing it down. I'm not 100 percent certain, but um, they they had an offense that was essentially a couple chunk plays, right. and that was it. Um, but I think when you sort of dig deeper, I feel like they were. They were, had a sneaky, efficient run game, um, and I don't. It's hard for me to reconcile like what happened with that because when we were talking post game to Adam Alola, and I asked him like, "Okay, what? What did you like shift back into gear in the fourth quarter?" And you talked about stunting a little bit more. Like, gave sort of a technical answer, which I appreciated, because um, I think what when I'm up in the box, my first thought is like. 
Notre Dame is wearing down defensively, but that like doesn't make any sense when you're winning time of possession two to one. Sure. Uh, even though you are shorthanded, Howard Cross had a high ankle sprain. Jacob Lacy left the team this week. Um, so they're playing a lot more Gabriel Rubio, a lot more Chris Smith than maybe they would think or anticipate. And then, like, you know, toward the end of the game, I, I'm watching the press box and think, seeing Isaiah Foskey on the sideline on, I think, the third down play and the fourth down play at the end. Like, that seemed a little bit odd to me, too. So um, Notre Dame is not not firing at all cylinders defensively right now. Um, but I would think that those mistakes are correctable opposed to, like, they're talent-driven, if that makes sense. Like, you can clean up your tackling – and you can certainly clean up your communication. That's different than the defense. <clears throat> excuse me, sort of like just not being good enough, which I don't. I don't think is the case because I thought that the the secondary played pretty well tonight. Yeah, they're good. Um, you know, and like linebackers could be better, but the linebackers need to be a lot better. Um, you know, and to be fair, like Nakua dropped that third down play. Right. Um, yeah. That was you know Notre Dame deserves a break every now and again too. Um, they took advantage of it, so. There was, um, yeah, there was just there was a lot, a lot to this game. It will be a very interesting sort of rewatch uh, on Sunday and Monday for me. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U S based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. One of the more telling points I think U.S. Michael Mayer postgame was is this starting to look like the way you want it to go and he he answered in the affirmative he was like yes this is exactly how we want it to go and I think as much as we talk about what a great player Michael Mayer is and he is um he's just always a pleasure to talk to because he pulls no punches he's as honest as can be you can tell he's a guy who cares a lot and works really hard and is going to give it to you straight. And so confident he acknowledged the crowd after setting the tight end's catch record he, well, when they put him on the video that board. That was a great moment. It's funny, like, you know, they, I, I saw it either on Twitter or on TV first, and I'm like, we all knew he would get it eventually, but I wasn't, yeah. like, coming into this game, like, with that as a storyline. And then it's like, 
wait, you got it already? It's his 30th career game. Yeah. Like, that's insane. And obviously, he had the hot hand in the first half, but I thought that was really cool of them to show it on screen to show him and give him the chance to acknowledge it, which, like, I I doubt he comes back to the sideline thinking, like, (laughs) all time is going to be on me now. You got to be a pretty confident dude to, like, Thanks, guys. Well, they, they showed it. I mean, he saw yeah. it. You can't, yeah. But it's like, I can't mean, ignore how, it. how many players are just like, uh, you know, they're uncomfortable. Like, very, I'm trying to think of more confident players that I've covered at Notre Dame than Michael Mayer, and I'm struggling to come up with them. Ah, uh, oh, that's a good one. Because he's confident in, like, a, like, I am who I am kind of way. Like, there are certainly some good talkers yeah, on not, this team who have, it, like, like, DBs in general yeah. like to talk themselves and be good, which like you need to do as a DB. But Michael Mayer's at a, just a different level of like authentic confidence. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it be with records or just like getting open or people maybe putting up video clips of him and Brock Bowers and like how he has reacted to that sort of behind the scenes. Like it's, I think I even go back to the Georgia Tech game last year when I watched him throw his gloves into the crowd in the third quarter. <laughs> Because he was just like, "Hey, we're kick- we're kicking their butt. I don't. I'm done. I'm good. Somebody enjoy some gloves here." So, it's um, you know, I guess you know, Kyron Williams' confidence was similar but different in terms there. of how like, he expressed it was yeah. totally different. Um, Jer- Jeremiah, I'd put up there. Yeah, and I think you know, with Kyron, it was infectious, and I wonder if Mayer is. I don't know if Mayer's confidence is as infectious as it was with Kyron, but. The ability and the production, I don't know how that couldn't be, how that couldn't make every player on this roster from 1 to 85, offense, defense, special teams, just sort of feel good about who they are. Yeah, I think it's like the classic, like, do you lead by example or are you a talker? And this specific example, we've got two guys at the opposite ends of the spectrum who I think, you know, have a positive effect on everyone they're around for completely different ways. I mean, um, hearing Marcus Freeman just gush about him as far as like, yeah, he got the record, but we've got a lot of games to go, and he could still get a lot better. Yeah, like Tommy Reese is still scheming to get him open yeah. in different ways every game. Um, I, I on that same line of thinking, like I thought Mayer's post game was interesting. He uh, he got asked about what what he got asked either about the record or a touchdown, and he's like, refresh my memory, which was which. It was just, and, it and was, then I asked him about the second touchdown. Yeah, but then there was another question about another play, and he went like so far in detail. Yeah, that was what I asked him about. Yeah. I asked him about the second touchdown where he sort of got open around four different guys, and that I love those answers because they're so wonky that it gives you a reminder of like how much detail goes yeah. into this. It's not just oh, I'm a really good player and a great athlete. It's like. I saw the safety was aligned a certain way, so I sacked him. I had a guy in my hip, Drew Pine. He, I think he, he put it in golf terms. He's like, yeah, if yeah, he, seven iron, eight, yeah. If he had a one iron, which yeah. I don't even think is a thing, but like, if he threw a one iron, it could have got batted down. So he lofted more of a seven. It was perfect throw. He knew I was, and I think that was like the end of that quote was where I thought Mayor's confidence really showed too. Where he was just like, yeah, and I'm sure he was looking for me the whole way. Like you know, it's like. <laughs> Because it's like, duh, of course your Drew Pine's going to be looking for Michael Mayer the whole way. Like, there, this offense hasn't had a ton of other places to go. Now it, now it does, but Mayer is so far and above the best player on this team that um, it just sort of gives it. Give, I think it even gives the defense something to build on that, he, that which you would never say about a tight end. But I just think he's that talented. The um, well, he got asked another question about. 
how aware are you of defense making you like oh, their primary right. thing? And he said, that's probably a question that's better. Like the, the short of it was, and again, this goes back to like quiet confidence. The short of it was, that's a better question for Reese, but like, I don't like, basically I don't worry. worry. Like I know he, he didn't say this, but what he was implying was like, I know if I play my best, it really doesn't matter because yeah. like, I, I know what I'm capable of. And uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he definitely showed that today. It was a, uh, it was a really, really nice day. I think um, during the bye week pod, what did we put the over under at for him? 75. And you said he's going to blow it away. And I said, I think he'll get it. But at some point defenses are going to figure out um, that he's like the best weapon. And some games, the only weapon he's up to 33 catches now through five games. Uh, feeling pretty good about him. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to clear the over on that one. Um, yeah. I don't like, What do you, what was sort of your takeaway from today as it relates to like, the season because I think we we talked maybe last night at dinner or earlier today just about if they win today I think I maybe feel more strongly than you did but like if they win today they'll be six and two going to Clemson when Clemson comes to Notre Dame they still have Syracuse who is like a very functional team right now Stanford and UNLV less so but to me it just so much of today was was the North Carolina game the exception or the rule. And it needs to be the rule. And I feel like the way both lines played today sort of proved that it can be. It was not like a perfect performance by any stretch of the imagination for Notre Dame. But I feel like the last two weeks, we've, or last two games, I should say, sort of like know what Notre Dame is now. I think today was like the rule. Okay. As far as this is how they're going to win games when they win them. This is how they're going to play. Carolina was great. It was necessary to give these guys confidence to know that they what they are capable of because it was a rough go of it the first two and a half games for them or so. But if you look at – not put anything away from that win, but 2020 they went to Carolina. That was supposed to be a tough game, and Carolina was an Orange Bowl team that year. Yeah. Notre Dame just beat the crap out of them. I mean, the final was 14 points, but, I mean, they just sucked the life out of that team physically. They, they, they just know how to play them. They're a terrible matchup for Carolina. Uh, and in this case, this season, they came at the perfect time because Notre Dame was able to let loose on them uh, on the ground and, and help build Drew Pine and the offense's confidence. Whereas today, I think you carry some of that confidence into today and you don't move the ball the way you did against Carolina, but you move the ball pretty well. You run the ball very effectively. Your quarterback plays with some swagger. This is, like today, I think is a, a, a emblematic kind of moment of how we felt this team would look. I mean, especially offensive line-wide, again, like, Pine had so much time. Oh, it was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that's. I feel like they were running routes on top of routes because they're like, well, I ran the first route. Pine still has the ball. What should I do next? Um, Even it was the Mickey one early on. It was a dangerous throw because it ended up being in traffic, but it was they were backed up deep into their own end zone. Mm. And the one to Thomas across the middle. Was it Thomas? I'm sorry, sorry, yes, sorry, Thomas. yeah, and, and yeah, it was wide open, really but nice it was throw. also one where he ran, kind of ran into traffic. Yeah, the, so that was the one where you BYU broke it up? Is that the yeah, one? Yeah, you tried? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was a really nice throw. Um, and I, I think that's another thing with Pine that is interesting to me. It's like I don't feel like the ball is in jeopardy very often. Not to like, I, like I feel like his decisions, and like even at um, North Carolina, I don't – like he doesn't throw the, the dropped pick six that Clarence Lewis had, like – Drew Pine doesn't make that throw, um, which is significant. And I think that sort of goes back to some things that Freeman had said about, like, the guy makes the right decisions. Um, 
and how how important and significant that is. But like, uh, so I don't know if today. I mean, the game is the Clemson game is so far away that it's I think kind of absurd to discuss. But nothing that's happened in the last couple of weeks makes me feel differently about the Clemson game. But what has happened in the last two games does make me feel different about the next three weeks. Like, is that yeah, yeah, that fair position? Absolutely. Well, I don't know. Having Tim Murray tell us Notre Dame would be favored over Clemson right now makes me look at that game in a whole new light because I still can't figure that one out. But certainly to your point, like I don't, I, I just thought this was a swing game for Notre Dame, and if they don't play well or they blow it at the end and find a way to lose it, I, I just think you're back under that microscope where you're under 500. You have a first-year head coach. Everyone and everything's being called into the question, and you know you get reminded at every corner essentially well you couldn't even beat marshall so like let's not overlook stanford and unlv whereas right. now they're in a groove they're feeling good about themselves they're playing football the way they wanted to play football at the beginning of the season like i don't expect them to get much of a challenge from stanford or unlv syracuse is absolutely a game they should win on talent and yeah. if they do their job um still tricky because syracuse is a pretty good team this year it comes at a weird time and there's something about whatever they call that dome these days that like just brings out the worst in in visitors every single game. Um, so that, I mean, I just thought, yeah, this was this was a I wouldn't say a baseline, but to your earlier point, like th- this is the rule. Like this is how Notre Dame's going to win football games this year. Um, I mean, you're, we were both on the field pregame. BYU team is freaking huge. They're they have some not not all like. Great bodies, huge. No, but, but they've like, got some mass. They're huge, and like, we saw their, their their return team. They've got some athletes there yeah. too, and their quarterback was playing banged up clearly. But like that was a game where you're like, all right, this is where like as you're on there and you're seeing both teams line up and you're you're warm up and you're seeing both offensive lines get after it. Like okay, like we'll, we'll see. We'll see whether that Carolina game was fluky or not, because BYU is probably going to test you physically, and, and they did. came out passing. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, there's pat, pass, pat, not physically passing. <laughs> they passed the test. Yeah, I mean, I think that was one thing that you know, when you get back to the the point of it being the rule, is like, I don't know how many teams Notre Dame, certainly not the next three games. Like, they're not going to play anyone that's going to physically push them the way BYU pushed them tonight. Um, Clemson is a completely different beast. BYU now is what Stanford was. Like, yeah. <laughs> like as far but as matchup. But then through November, like after the Clemson game, again, Notre Dame should have the best, the better line, both lines, in the final three games of the season, um, USC included. So I I think the offensive line in particular, like how the progress that group has made um, – from where it started is remarkable to me because I mean they were struggling to pick up pretty basic blitz concepts the first couple weeks of the season and now they're giving their quarterback 12 seconds to throw the ball so it um I get you gotta have Harry Heastan Chris Watt that group a lot of credit um you know they they got right and I I asked Tommy Reese this on Tuesday like is it is it too much to put on one player a left guard Mm-hmm. as, like, the reason the line is getting better. And he's like, not really. I mean, I don't think we think of, like, game-changing left guards, but right. I think just he puts – Jared Patterson sort of puts the puzzle together for Notre Dame on the offensive line, and you're seeing – man, you're just seeing some great progress there. And it's like Notre Dame is not, 
you know, they're they're playing two freshman tight ends quite a bit. Holden stays at his first career catch, which is a third down conversion. Um, Eli Raritan is the fullback Ra- yeah. before they called a timeout on that third goal. Eli play. Raritan got a target. Tobias Merriweather played a little bit more. You're down on the defensive line. Interior was a strength now. Suddenly it's shaky. Linebacker, I think they're kind of searching for some stuff. Like, you can see some of the athleticism in a young player like Prince Kali. Can you harness that more in the second half of the season? Uh, you know, they're clearly not afraid to go with youth in the secondary with Benjamin Morrison. Um, so it's, you know, but but Jaden Mickey has kind of been involved in, like, I don't, I don't think the bomb to, was on him. I think it looked like he was expecting some help. That's kind of a follow-up question for Freeman next week. But, um, there, I mean, Notre Dame is not at full strength necessarily, but um, they're, they've found a way to, like, be a, a pretty good version of themselves with the the players that they have available. But I love the light show at the end of the third quarter, even though BYU fans tried to drown it out. I tried mean, to drown it out. Yeah, if it was if it was down right after that, if so. it was an audio only experience, you would have thought it was a BYU home game in that in that moment. Um, you know, in the fourth quarter, Notre Dame fans really got loud and got into it. But uh, that was like to me the entire environment tonight. It felt like a like a, I don't want to say a college football playoff game, but like a major bowl game where both teams were fully invested yeah, in it. Yeah, which I wasn't sure from a fan base standpoint, especially if the 0 2 start. Like, I just wasn't sure this game would have the the draw to it. I but think I, so I know many people I have, booked I, it in July. I'm saying I have friends who canceled their flights to this oh. game when it was 0 2. And frankly, at 0 2, I don't blame you for not wanting to spend a lot of money out here because that's all you do out oh, yeah. here. But, um, it was very, very cool. Like, it was loud. It was cool. I mean, we saw – I mean, we knew ran into so many people over the past couple of days here. I, I thought it was interesting to hear it kind of from Marcus Freeman's, like, first-year head coach perspective. Like, he seemed genuinely awed and shocked in his opening statement today about, like, the crowd and the atmosphere. It was crazy. It like, was, no, it was great. But, like, you never hear – most no. coaches are pretending yeah, that doesn't like, exist. Um, but, I mean, it was – there were moments where it was a Notre Dame home home game, air quotes, that Drew Pine probably couldn't communicate. Oh yeah, very easily because it was so damn loud in here. Um, this is a great venue. You told me that it was after covering the Pac-12 championship game was that last year. Um, yeah, the week, the week the, uh, it was the day Marcus Freeman got introduced as uh, in the locker room as the okay. head coach in Notre Dame. It, so I went uh, into that video when I they, got here. Even if they don't bring the Shamrock Series here every year, um, this should be in the regular rotation. Join the Pac-12. <laughs> yeah. This is why BYU is joining the conference. Yeah. Last year is independent, I believe. This uh, this is an awesome venue in a cool town. Um, it felt like it had big game vibes to it. And I think so much of the, like the Shamrock Series, when it's felt like a big game, it's pretty much only been because the venue was cool. Fenway, Yankee Stadium. Last year was a little different because it was Wisconsin in in Chicago. Game, yeah. um, that that had a big game. But like atmosphere. Dallas against Arizona State doesn't do anything. Yeah, San Antonio games. Indianapolis, like, Purdue. Indianapolis, nothing. Um, this felt like a big time event, um, which I think is sort of what the Shamrock Series is supposed to be, um, and it absolutely delivered in, in every single way. Um, this weekend, so well, they, well done to Notre Dame and they, Las they Vegas. They named the series after a podcast. I know. Yeah. And like, they, and neither we haven't sent them a season desist letter yet, and I'm only <laughs> half joking. When I'm saying I'm surprised we haven't got one from them. But it's uh, they are undefeated in these games, which I feel like is a, a weird ten and, and zero. Yeah, right. I think they it's lost one. Yeah, um, they're definitely undefeated. I'm just trying to go it's through. It's weird and random 
and yet I don't feel like it's talked about enough. Because they've had, like, again, yeah, this one, the Wisconsin game going into it last year, the Arizona State game in Dallas coming off two losses, like, there have been some tricky spots where, or even the Syracuse won 18, you know, when Syracuse yeah. was good. Like, there have been some tricky spots where you think this could be end up being a loss, and they, to their credit, haven't done it yet. Those jerseys were every bit as nice in person on the field as yes. they looked during the unveiling. Uh, BYU's helmets were sick on the sidelines. Those were they were really, very I don't know if it translated cool. as well to, to, to uh, TV, but yeah, they as were awesome. I, so it was the best venue for a Shamrock Series, the best the lo- city, I love, like, we're looking and the out. best fashion for a Shamrock Series <laughs> if uh, these games are evaluated As, in as such you ways. say that, I'm about to talk about it. We see the, the stadium crew tearing down the Notre Dame branding um, outside the end zone right now. But I thought, like, the logo, the design – uh, the end zones, like I, I just thought, all of it looked really, really cool. Except for uh, they thought it was a good idea to for the media meal um, to dye the hot dog buns green. Uh, I didn't eat them. I couldn't it's a questionable really, couldn't choice. Really, couldn't really sure. look at it. it. Didn't look too appetizing. But uh, that, that's that's one minor nitpick on a day where everything seemed to turn up <laughs> Irish. Yes. Well, speaking of green, we should probably wrap up this podcast so I can bet green double zero. I appreciate all oh, the pe- <laughs> I appreciate all the people who have either DM'd me or even come up to me in person. Uh, and mentioned something to that effect. When's the last time you were here? It might have been after 20, the 2016 season. I came up to do a feature on Alize Mack. I drove overnight from... Back when you were still uh, named yeah, Alize Mack? Yeah. Uh, I guess it was Alize Jones back then. Or, yeah, yeah, sorry, back when you were Drove from uh, L.A. to Vegas. Spent a couple days here at that point. But um, it's been... It's been a minute. Uh, it was a cool... It's a very cool venue. Uh, great town. I... It was bizarre seeing how many people from South Bend came to it based on like just recognizing people on the video board who live in my neighborhood. Oh. Um, it's uh, this had a huge draw. And it, I, you know, I, I'm sure we've talked about this before. I, th- I just think that there was a big section of the Rain fan base who were like, I'm going to skip a home game and go to this, this one instead. Which is probably. And they got their money's I mean, worth. I, I, I wouldn't say that's the intention of the Shamrock series yeah. because they don't want people to skip home games. But I do think the intention. And I remember way back when, when Jack Sorbrick kind of unveiled this thing, he said, like, it's only going to work if there's a story to tell or something to that effect. Um, and this was a, a destination for, for Irish fans. I, I get it. Like, I get why you want to come out here. It, you guys made a difference tonight. It was fun. I mean, my entire flight from Chicago was, was all ND fans, um, as I'm sure it'll be on the way back. Uh, and everywhere you looked, I mean, it was, you know, BYU fans probably drove in the day of, but because they were a lot of them here too. But it was, uh, it was interesting. I mean, you know, I was, I had lunch buy a sports book before I came over to the stadium today and you know it's easy when you're in a sports book to like forget like oh yeah like everyone just comes to Vegas to like bet on sport like you see Ohio State jerseys Oklahoma jerseys and then you walk out of there and you get to the game or you go on the way to the game and it's like oh my god it's literally all Notre Dame fans here it's pretty impressive yeah it was a great crowd you know you know both sides turned out this place was packed it was loud um great venue so well played to Notre Dame and BYU in Vegas for putting this all together. So, uh, yeah, on that note, I've got to write before I gamble. I don't know if you're writing anything tonight. I'm uh, writing. I'm not gambling. Okay. <laughs> you got that in last night. Uh, so on that note, we'll wrap up this episode of the Shamrock after Notre Dame's 28-20 to 20 win over BYU in the Shamrock Series to move to 3-2 and two on the season with Stanford, UNLV, and Syracuse with Clemson to follow after that. But... We'll, we'll try not to get too far ahead of ourselves in Marcus Freeman's debut season. So until then, no, until then, he's Matt. I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.